Disclaimer, this podcast does not promote dogfighting, nor information on how to train dogs to fight. Dogfighting is prohibited by law. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Pitbull Mechanic, episode 3, Trials and Tribulations. Okay, welcome, welcome. Um, in my last episode, I talked about uh, correcting your dog and why it's so important and a natural part of a dog's life. And in this episode, I won't necessarily get into the proper way of correcting, or at least the way I do it, uh, but I will eventually get to that in a different episode. The important thing is that you uh, start correcting your dog and not ignoring its bad behavior. It's a process and it needs to start sometime, and that sometime is now. And the reason I'm doing that is because I want to share a couple more stories with you to kind of um, bring my point across or get my point across to how important it is because I know a lot of people are not comfortable with, you know, correcting their dog. And I get it. But unfortunately, it has to be done and it does help. So I'll share a story of my personal dog, Nico, because I think he is a good example of how it helped him have more self-control. He had what you would call a uh, a dominant personality, which meant he didn't really get along with other dogs and he wanted to dominate them. And he especially didn't like little dogs, right? And and who does? Who does? (laughs) Those little ankle biters. Um, er. I um, adopted him when he was already two and a half years old, uh, which means he was already an adult. So I had my work cut out. And he is now 11. And just a side note, dogs become adults at the age of two. And smaller dogs become seniors at the age of seven. And bigger dogs at the age of six. So again, dogs become adults around two years old. Um, Most dogs, I would say, live a good 15 years uh, or more. You know, that just depends on their care. Smaller breeds uh, seem to live, you know, longer. <laughs> Again, or <laughs> um, and that's just a generalization because if you do your own research, you'll find that everyone has a different answer. So I just, I just keep it that way. So three months in of me working with my um, new dog Nico, we were out uh, for a walk and we were, um, we were heading to the corner. We just made it almost made it to the corner. I would say we made it to the corner. And all of a sudden, um, I see this uh, little terrier running across the street towards us. Luckily, I had had Nico on lead at the time. And and FYI, I I call leash a lead. Just so you know what I'm talking about when I say lead. Um, we, We seem to be the only country that calls it a leash. Everywhere else, it's called a lead. I call it a lead um, because it keeps, I want to keep people in the frame of mind that we need to lead our dogs and not the other way around. It's it's a tool and it should be used as one and uh, not uh, 
you know, just a leash on life for, for the dogs to allow them to do what they want when they, you know, anytime they want to do it, we, we need to grant them permission to do things. And, and it's how, um, we keep them under control, obviously. And we need to do that at all times. Not much different, you know, than children are giving rules because we just, obviously we don't want them to go out there and do whatever they want at any given time either. It, it's, it's not safe for either child or dog, right? And my daughter will uh, tell you when she was a kid, she was on a leash, which she wasn't. She has a little backpack, a monkey backpack that had a <laughs> a lead. <laughs> okay, a leash <laughs> tied to it so we wouldn't lose her when we went out in public or, or uh, theme parks. But she'll tell you to this day, she will tell you, my parents put me on a leash. <laughs> um, if your dog is not trained... Uh, and you let him do what he wants when he wants on walks, you will not be able to control him when you need to. So it's important to keep that in mind. Now, to some, you know, that may sound mean, but hopefully those who are listening uh, will understand that we're here to help our dogs and in training them to allow them to do more and have more freedom because they will understand what the rules are. My dog uh, can and does walk off lead because he follows the rules. Now, I'm not recommending anyone do that. You know, do that. I have full control of my dog to the point that if a stray dog comes out of nowhere, I tell him to sit, and he waits till I chase that dog away, which happen you know happens a lot and has happened a lot in my neighborhood. And whenever I see people uh, with dogs off lead, it makes me cringe because people think that they have control and then they find out the hard way that they don't. Plus, not to mention that it's against the law not to have your dog on lead. And yes, I haven't always followed the rules. Um, Also, uh, I want to apologize if I come across harsh on here. Or, or in general, in life, real life. At times, I can be brutally honest with people. And I'm not uh, exactly sure if that's a, a downfall or not. I guess as I get older, I just don't see the point in beating around the bush. you know. So I just get to the point, especially when it comes to working with animals. And, I, I, and in saying that, I, I, I want to state that I'm in... I'm in this field because I care about animals, but I'm not what you would um, necessarily call a bleeding heart. And that's because I couldn't do or help these individual dogs that are in dire straits if, if I was emotional about their needs. And I don't get, don't get me wrong. So what I'm saying, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong whatsoever with being a bleeding heart. We just need to understand that we, that, that love cannot conquer all, especially when it comes to animals. We um, can love them and take care of their physical needs, but what about their um, mental states, right? They say that uh, the dog is, is man's best friend, but I'm not so sure that it's the other way around. 
So again, we <clears throat> we need to do what's best for them and kind of put, you know, human emotions uh, aside. So on with my dog's story. Uh, we hit the corner and this little terrier is running across the street thinking it's going to kill my dog. Let's just say it didn't go as planned. Nico grabs the dog by the throat. And of course, wouldn't you know it, at that same moment, the woman that owned the dog is running behind him and sees her dog in my dog's mouth and starts to scream. Her screaming, of course, um, will not make matters any better. It just won't help. So keep that in mind if uh, something like that ever happens. Screaming to, uh, especially to a bully breed, just intensifies the situation. Uh, They thrive on the adrenaline in the air and the screaming. Um, Same as a professional fighter would respond to uh, the crowd, you know, calling out his name, which which is just, it empowers him to fight that much harder. Um, This is how dogs are built, especially the pit bulls and the, crossed uh, bully dogs. So luckily I'd been working with my dog for the last three months. Um, but again, he was just protecting himself and every creature on this earth is, is entitled to do that. Right. I looked down on him and I'm like, Oh boy. Then I reached out and touched him on his back and said the word, leave it. He immediately let go of the dog and the dog ran off to its owner. The lady said in a hectic voice, he's like, I thought my dog was dead. I told her what I did for work and that my dog, you know, um, that, I, that he was new to me and, and I just been working real hard with him. Uh, she uh, <laughs> proceeded to say that uh, I can't believe it, you know, and said, thank you so much. She then said that she had another dog that really needed training. <laughs> As I thought to myself, really. Um, And of course, you know, do you have a card? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, yeah, she never called. So although I have car, uh, I have cards. I don't always carry uh, them with me because it makes me feel like a traveling salesman when I hand them out. But I did that particular day. Um, Now I have a what's called a QR code in my phone. That's just a code that, you know, you can scan with your camera and it takes you to my website. Yes, I know. I'm cool like that. <laughs> so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um, <clears throat> introducing dogs. Bringing dogs face to face and why it's never a good idea. Although you see people do it all the time, right? Um, on TV and just trainers in general, wherever you may go. Uh, it's just something that I never do. Have I? Absolutely. Um, because the thing is, bringing dogs face to face to introduce them creates a fight atmosphere. We need to set them up for success, not failure, because we don't know what, you know, um, the outcome of that face to face introduction is going to be. Most of the time, it seems to be okay, but why take the risk and have your dog go through? A bad experience. Some dogs are fine after those sort of experience. Others can't seem to get over them. So, you know, 
do dogs meet face to face? Absolutely. When they're out on their own and their owners are not around, but those are things we can't control and nature will have, you know, it's saying what happens next, but it does, you know, it does happen. And, and again, some dogs are fine with others, but we need to think, uh, you know, um, in a different uh, manner to, to focus on the bigger picture and just not put our dogs in those positions in those positions is what I'm trying to say. The best way that I've learned to introduce dogs is by watching nature do its thing. Dogs in a pack have already established who is who within the pack, whether it is by, you know, being okay with each other or by fighting to know what position they will be in within the pack. If they're choosing to, you know, to be the the top dog, then, um, you know, they're just going to continue fighting until they get that position. It's just a natural thing for dogs to do, especially if us humans are not stepping into that role. They have the need to do it. Um, as dogs walk to find resources, food and water, or, you know, obviously to mate, um, <clears throat> others will, will start to follow, you know, along, keeping them themselves in the back of the pack and take, take up, uh, you know, trying to see if they can get into that top position, which usually ends up in a fight, of course, for dominance. So if you've already established who you are, you know, as the top dog and other dogs need to join your pack on a walk, you know, it's, it's, it's important how to do that walk or how to, you know, get them together properly, bond properly. Watching dog trainers, uh, force dogs to meet face to face will just, it just kind of shows you what, you know, what they don't know and how nature works. It sounds cocky of me, uh, you know, to say, but it's very frustrating to watch knowing that your dog will have a better relationship and the proper bond will be made just by simply, you know, walking them. Not all dogs have the same personality, of course, and uh, not all are, are friendly with others. Uh, so you, you give them the opportunity to know that uh, when meeting other dogs, it's not going to be a bad experience. Remember, dogs, majority of the time, will have a knee-jerk reaction to the world. So we need to train them to be more relaxed and at ease when you, you know, with you being in charge and taking that responsibility off their shoulders. So socializing a dog is not <laughs> taking your dog you know, to meet other dogs face to face, like dog parks or, you know, that sort of thing. <clears throat> and I know people talk about socializing at a young age. Your dog should meet a hundred people, hundred dog, a hundred dogs by the time he's six months old. And that's great, you know, for a young dog, a puppy. Uh, but meeting a dog, meeting people is always going to be a lot uh, easier than a dog meeting dog. Uh, Trying to socialize an older dog also is going to be a bit more challenging. So again, know what it is that you're going to do before you uh, bring your dog home. You know, have a plan uh, in place. It's always best to know 
what you're getting yourself into. Because once that dog is in your home, everything seems, you know, for the most part, goes out the window. Because you're you're so you know, super excited to have that, that new, you know dog in your life in your home. Uh, if you have someone to help you uh, walk your dogs, have them walk, uh, you know, the new dog behind, and then switch positions, and in time closing the gap to bring them together. I have found uh, that to be the best method. Again, set them up for success, not failure. Right. At times, you'll hear me say that I'm a natural animal behaviorist, and that's because I try to uh, mimic their natural behavior as a dog when I work with them. And you know, the same goes when I when I work with a horse. I've also talked about a dog's nose and how powerful their sense of smell is. And again, it's got nothing to do with energy, like some would have you believe. But I won't mention any names. You know, you'll just have to go, you know, watch the dog whisper. (laughs) What I'm going to say next, uh, you're probably not going to believe. But it is possible to bring dogs together without them ever meeting face to face. Now, before I I tell you how that's possible, let's go over um, the dog's uh, amazing uh, nose capabilities. So a canine possesses up to 3 million olfactory receptors in their nose. And compared to us, uh, we only have 6 million. So uh, canines also have um, neophilia, which means they are attracted to new and interesting orders. And I hope I'm pronouncing that word properly. <laughs> if, and I've seen this happen, if you put, um, or, or you've seen a crowd of people and perhaps in that crowd, the one person that's afraid of dogs, the dog will immediately go towards that individual. And that's because they're putting out the biggest smell, right? And that's unfortunate for that person, but <laughs> it happens. I've seen it happen. Um, scientists uh, guess that a dog's sense of smell is between uh, 10,000 to 100,000 times stronger than ours. And yeah, that, that mean, pretty sums it, pretty much sums it up, you know, how powerful their sense of smell is. And, and of course, that number changes depending on the scientists you talk to, but you get the idea. And dog information seems to change every, I would say, every 10 years. So, you know, you got to keep up with this stuff. And how far can dogs smell? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> that really depends on uh, a couple of things, such as the wind and uh you know, which way the wind's blowing and the type of scent it is. And I would say under perfect conditions, um, they have been, uh, or it's been reported that uh, a dog uh, can smell small objects or people as far as 12 miles away. That's pretty incredible, right? Um, so I ask, why do people put their hand out to meet a dog? Is it necessary? No, it's just a bad idea. <laughs> you know, they can get you bit, can get your child bit, right? Put your hand out, let the dog smell it. One, that dog, you know, may not necessarily be friendly, obviously, uh, or, you know, be be hand shy. When people do this, I just ask, 
you know, are you testing the flame to see how hot it is or if it's hot enough, right? Whenever you come to a dog, just stand there and let the dog's nose do its thing and get comfortable with you. Plus, you, you, you know, obviously you should ask the owner if it's okay to pet their dog. And even that is not always a good idea or a good outcome because unfortunately most dog owners don't really know their dog. They, they, you know, they may think they do, but you know, shit happens all the time when it, you know, when it's involved, you know, animals are involved. Um, we've all heard stories of people, you know, my dog is friendly and then someone goes to pet it and the next thing you know, they're getting their, their arm chewed off. So let me tell you how I bring, you know, two dogs together without uh, first having them meet face to face. You know, and everything I've been talking up to this point about a dog's nose, you know, is is led us here. Someone um, came to me not knowing if I could help or not, but uh, was um, desperate to take a senior dog home with health issues. The senior had, um, or the shelter, sorry, had told her that the senior dog that she had been visiting for the last six months couldn't be taken home because the senior uh, hated all other dogs. And I guess they had tried this before with, you know, with dogs. And um, she had a dog at home that was friendly. And uh, I don't quite remember, but I think they, they tried to bring them together and it didn't work out. And her dog at home uh, had its own issues. <laughs> But that's a different story altogether. <laughs> she desperately wanted to take the dog home because uh, it was terminally ill and didn't uh, have much time to live. When uh, she asked me if it was possible, I told her that it, it absolutely was possible. And, and I'm not so sure that she believed me because um, she had been told you know, by all others that um, it was not. I told her if I um, did this, she would have to do exactly what I asked, you know, and every day and that I would be doing it. Um, I'd do it pro bono for the sake of the dog, right? obviously for her, but, you know, why not? The dog, you know, shouldn't be in a shelter and die in the shelter by itself. And typically, most likely that that would happen. She agreed, and I instructed her that when she uh, came to visit the senior dog, she would have to collect some of the senior dog's urine with a sponge. So once the dog peed, she let it soak up and then put it in a Ziploc bag. She would also have to do the same with her dog. And although uh, her visit... Um, I'm trying to say is throughout her visit with, you know, with, with the senior dog, um, she would have to open up the bag, have the senior dog smell the urine of her dog and then treat it, um, with something of high value. And that's something I think it was, as I told her, a, a cooked hot dog because a cooked hot dog, as we know, is everything. And a dog doesn't necessarily eat for the taste it eats because of the smell. So obviously if something tastes, you know, has a better taste to it, it they're going to, you know, like it that much more. 
So it need to be warm because it just brings out more of the flavor for them because the dog's palate is, is very bland compared to ours. She would have to do again the same at home with her dog. So once we brought them together on a walk, it would, you know, they would already know each other and be familiar with each other's scent. Um, this in turn uh, made the meeting of both dogs obviously much easier, you know, right? And the 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 process, which I call scent work, for lack of a better word, um, was the first step in, in bringing them together. Once together, uh, once together, there there was of course correcting involved to ensure that that both dogs understood who was the top dog and in charge. So needless needless to say, you know the the senior dog lived out the rest of its time with her at home with her other dog. So never underestimate the power of your dog's nose. And with that, I want to thank you for listening and we'll talk to you soon.